Talk and Power, your motorsport and motoring radio show. Now on 88.5 FM, the valley comes alive. And podcasting across iTunes and talkandpower.com.au. Okay, Talk and Power podcast. It is the best of 2021. Welcome to it. I'm joined by Todd Brinkworth and Brendan Franklin. We are live from Tassels Bar and Bistro here in Inaloo. Hey, thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for no worries. Hey, look, it's a, just a bit of an informal podcast. We're talk, walking through 2021. It was a big year for the podcast. I, when I sat back and thought about it, I thought, well, that's quite a quite a large year. I looked through the guest list. So we're just going to do a, a highlights package here of the podcast for 2021. Uh, we kicked the year off uh, with quite a few interviews, I must say, and it worked out to roughly an interview pretty much a, a month almost. But uh, one of my favourites for the year... As we know, brokered by yourself, um, Carl Cox. Talk us through a bit about that one, Todd. Um, look, I can't take full credit. Um, I know uh, Frank's listening out there over yep. east. Um, partly put together by, well, Simon mm-hmm. and uh, Frank, but I was sort of given a message and started having a massive chat with Frank. We still have to have it on one day, and yep. that's uh, Frank at Dandy Engines, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Dandenong. Mm-hmm. Victoria. Victoria, yes. Um, but... Uh, yeah, just some casual back and forth, and then all of a sudden, I'm dealing with uh, Carl Cox, and uh, next thing you know, he's on the podcast, and we had a ball. Yep, it actually ranks as number one of our all-time downloads on YouTube and on um, and on on uh, iTunes and and all of our podcasts. So, let's have a listen to that interview. You know, he was a great interview. He uh, contributed a lot to the to the episode as well, and it was great to have Carl Cox on. And uh, uh, let's just have a listen to that interview here. Carl Cox, Carl, thanks for joining us. All right, I love that. They're international. <laughs> I've been here long, long enough now. I'm a token, I'm a token bloody Aussie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Carl, look, we really appreciate your time on coming on the podcast tonight. Um, it, it, it really does give us great pleasure to have you on here tonight. And, and uh, look, I mean, I, I just want to, we need to qualify your credentials here. World famous <laughs> DJ, motorsport identity event promoter, drag racer. I think you were a scaffolder at one stage as well. Tell us, have we missed something along the way? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, green fingers are gardening. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was also, um, I used to like, um, uh, when the new cars come in, you do this thing called a PDI inspections on new cars. And so when they rolled off the truck, I was the one that tested the brakes. So, <laughs> so, I don't know how I got that job, but anyway, it was it was a, it was very dangerous at that particular. <laughs> Did time. any of them ever not work? Yeah, yeah, they came <laughs> off, and I'm like, oh, just like <laughs> 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 uh, forty next, you know, um, yeah. you know, you have to kind of check them for like the horn, did did, and the you know the indicators that they worked, and the brakes was like, oh man, really? You got to be. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a bit of a dangerous job, but um, but I've also um, I I I I used to do uh, be an electrical engineer and I used to build my own speakers and, and EQs and mixers and all that sort of stuff for uh for uh music systems and um and motor mechanics. Uh, I was also um uh, I was in college for motor mechanics as well. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I do get my hands dirty now and again. Well, not so much now, uh, but back in the day, yeah, of course. <laughs> no, that's a, it's it's quite an incredible you know, career you've had. And I mean, we need to talk about 
a lot of the things that you've done over the years. I just want to take a step back to your younger years. Growing up in the UK, maybe this has been very stereotypical, but I would have thought that you would have grown up working on Jensen's and other cool UK brands. How, how did the drag racing bug bite way back then? <laughs> yeah, nah, all those British Leyland cars and all those foreign cars outside of Ford, as Ford was the only thing I worked on because Ford's fit. So <coughs> if, you had, if you had a wheel nut come off a Ford Angular, that wheel nut would, fall, would fit on a Capri. So yeah. that was, with <laughs> a gearbox or the diff or the, anything would, would intertwine itself. You know, all those other flashy cars and that, oh no, it was uh, too much like I'd work. When I was at college, they made me work on a, on a Triumph Herald. And just getting the bloody starter motor out of that thing was an absolute headache and nightmare, is the fact that I never had a Triumph Herald at all. You know, um, it was a pain a lot of those other cars to work on. So I never, I never, I never fancied myself on any of those cars at all, apart from Ford. So that's how it all became about. Um, for, as for drag racing, <clears throat> near where I, where I lived in South London, a place called uh, Car Shorten, um, in, in the place uh, Sutton, Surrey, um, uh, which is uh, kind of the suburbs of, of London. Um, <clears throat> we used, used to, I used to do a lot of uh, street racing around the area. And the guys we used to race against was called the Harrises. And this Harris family, they drove, they made nothing but, uh, uh, they had nothing but Ford cars that they used to drag race <clears throat> back in the day. And they used to drive Zephyr Zodiacs, Mark One and Zephyr consoles. And they used to put uh, Mustang 289 V8 engines in them and then put like a hundred shot of nitrous in them. And they used to try and get a lot of weight out of them because those old cars are very heavy. But they used to run, you know, in, back in the 80s, like 11, 11 11.4 seconds, you know. Uh, yeah, back that's in, quick, back in those quick for a street. At, at that time, it was considered very, very fast. And if a car did a 10, 10 second pass, you're like, behold, you know. <laughs> my, <laughs> my old Capri, what I used to have back in the day, I think I did it in something like 18 seconds at 83 miles an hour so i was like yes <laughs> it held together it didn't break <laughs> it didn't break down or anything uh, obviously things got a bit quicker after you just need money and in the 80s you we didn't really have money so we used to go every month to a thing called run what you brung so whatever you took you just took it down a strip so i used to have this little 850 mini and um yeah 23 or 24 seconds uh 72 mile an hour <clears throat> that was me in the mini kind of looking at my watch you know to, to you know, get to the end i'm like oh here we go <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun. That's how I started. But back in the day, Santa Pod Raceway um, in Northamptonshire, up the M1 leading towards north, uh, was the consummate drag strip. And that drag strip is still uh, heralded as one of the best uh, drag strips in, the, in, uh, in Europe. I believe, <clears throat> and, uh, I believe it still holds the world record for um, the rocket car. From memory, mm. I, I I believe it does, yeah, because they used to have the rocket car racing alongside, not alongside the uh, top fuelers, but they, it was kind of a thing to have two go down the line, and that was that 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 was the spectacle of that was incredible when you were in the stands watching that happen, and I think so that they, yeah, you're right, it probably is a problem. England was probably the only mad, mad enough place to run those bloody things. <laughs> yeah. you know, they are incredible to, to it, see. It sounds strange saying that because, you know, we always think of America as the capital of that. But, yeah, you guys just allowed the craziest things to happen over yeah. there. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very, very true. And and I remember one year going down there in, in the 80s where we had uh, Don Gullitz <clears throat> come over, uh, Shirley Madowney. And all the big stars, all the top fuel big stars, come down and and uh, and race their cars and the funny cars and everything. And I was in I, straight away. I was in. I, I used to just go home and 
be inspired with my own cars to just basically just go to quarter mile or street racing at the time. So I've always done it, but I've never really exercised the fact like I'm doing now as a part of my hobby that I like to do. All right, that was Carl Cox. Really enjoyed that one. It was a great episode. I've got to say, shout out to Carl, because I'm pretty sure he does listen or one of his friends does listen to us since he's been on the podcast. And uh, look, we'd love to have a chat again when you get the chance. Uh, Looking forward to seeing those guys back here in Western Australia. I'm yeah, sure they'll I know be back here soon. Carl's looking forward to bringing your car over at one point when he can, mm. when he doesn't get caught in lockdowns or lockups or whatever you want to call it nowadays. But, yeah. you know. Yeah, so. definitely. All right, our second one, we're going to... Tony Riccadello. Now, that was one I was working on for some time. Yeah. We finally got Tony on. I really enjoyed that one as well. And, uh, you know, uh, 11 times. I can't even remember now, 12, 11. I know it's 11 or 12. A lot. S- uh, sports sedan champion of Australia. So uh, we caught up with him. I really enjoyed that episode. Uh, he gave us an insight into his family life as well and uh, how he got to where he was uh, in... You know, the winningest car in... I know it's the winningest car in Australian history, and he seems to think it's the winningest car in the world. Yeah, chassis-wise. So, um, yeah, great interview, that one. Really enjoyed catching up with Tony. Let's have a listen to that one here. We've got a special guest in the studio, Tony Riccadello. Tony, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, having me guys. Um, great to be here. Well, we've been trying to organise this one, not for, not for any reason, but it was one that I really wanted to do. Um, Tony Riccadello, tell us, growing up as the son of Basil Riccadello, tell us what, what that was like as a young kid. Pretty much being at the racetrack a lot, um, <clears throat> watching race cars go around the track, Watching Dad work hard, Mum and Dad both working hard at the servos. Um, you know, just always being around cars and, and motor racing. Do you... I've, I've said this before on previous episodes with Italians that first generation, you and I are first generation Italians. We had Phil Lamartina, top fuel champion on the podcast as well. What do you think it is about the Italian, the, 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 the Italian migrants that came out to Australia, had children, why there is such a strong following in the automotive scene and why Italian um, first generation guys like yourself become so successful in that space? Mate, I think it's with any person that has passion for something. I think, you know, if you look at them, you know, my parents and my uncles and aunties, when they do something, they have a lot of passion for it. And it's something that you probably don't see as much these days. You know, it's just a job. Um, when they put, they have so much passion into it, they put so much effort into it. One, a saying that my mum would always say is, if you've got to do something, you always do it your best. It doesn't matter what it is, whether you're a cleaner, whether you're an architect, whatever it is, mechanic, you just got to do it the best, and I think that passion just carries carries through into bigger and better things. And you know, Dad worked hard, started, got their first service station, got the next service station. It grew the businesses and the family, and um, and that was it. Yeah. But speaking of your father and your family, your mom, mother and father, they were, they were very successful in that space as well in the in the automotive. We'll call it uh, service stations as well. Back in the day, where service stations truly were service stations, along with your uncle as well, Colin. Yeah. How uh, very successful 
that that yeah, as you said, that's got to be part of it, doesn't it? Because you know, if you look at the Italians that came to Australia, we've not a hell of a lot. They they really made the best that they possibly could in this in in certainly in Perth, Western Australia as well. Yeah, and back in the day, it was um, a service service station where they'd come out, see how much fuel you want. Um, check your oil and water, check your tyres. There was that communication with customers. They appreciated it. It was quite a bit different to what it is now. And I even see days that Dad and Uncle Colin and, and that will walk on, to the, on the driveway of the servo that we've, you know, we're not involved in anymore. We've got it leased off. They walk around, talk to customers and, and just want to help them, you know, and I think that's part of what they do. It, it was, and I remember, like, this goes back to 92, I went into your uncle's service station as a 17-year-old, and I drove in there, ding, ding, oh, the thing, he came out, pumped the tyres up and checked the, you know, checked the oil, and he goes, now, you're onto a good thing here, you know, like, and, and he showed, not that I really needed to be shown, but he showed me exactly what to do, what to check on the car, even though I had a fair fair idea of that. You, you just don't see that anymore. That those those sort of days are gone, aren't they? Yeah, and plus you would probably sneak in a short black with you, and <laughs> you know, and you know, like an espresso, or or just. And I think those sort of things now become friendships too. Like yeah. back then, a friendship was a customer as well. Now mm. it's a little bit different. Everyone's life lifestyles are busy. They get their fuel, they take off, and they move on, and mm. they go to any server where before you had that communication with that person, and and you become friend, friends and then have, have a long-life friendship, you know. Mm. But a lot of people that I talk to still frequent your business in terms of servicing and, and repairs on cars. So that's that's good to know, isn't it? I mean, I know that the, the workshop that, that that you you make a living, that you and your father make a living from, is a very busy one, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, the industry's taken off this last few years, I guess because of this whole COVID thing, but, um, and people can't get out of, out of Australia and out of the state, so... They're getting their cars fixed and they're travelling more, so a lot of four-wheel drives and other bits and pieces. But, you know, Dad started the business in 1966 and, you know, we don't advertise, we don't do none of that. It's just mm. regular yeah, customers, you know, word of mouth. Um, I've got some good guys that work there. They've got passion for cars and stuff. Mm. Um, brother-in-law's there, Elio. Um, he's been there for a lot of years, done his apprenticeship there. So there's there's good people around and you try to do the right thing you try to keep everyone happy and if you don't you try to solve it quickly and, mm. and move on you know yeah. so it's old school mm. um, sort of sort of learnings that we've had we bring it into the, to, to, into today so yeah, it's good yeah yeah all right that was Tony Riccadello of sports sedan uh, fame hey we're gonna take a short break here we'll be back with a heap more of uh, content right after the break. Alright, this is the best of 2021 uh, podcast. We are transmitting live from Tassels Bar and Bistro here in Inaloo and uh, Brendan Franklin over there, he's looking through the list. <laughs> you know the next ne- the next one on the list, you know these people quite well. You know you know all three of these. It was Andrew and Michelle Catavatis uh, from the Beach Bomb Racing Team and their tuner, James Rowland. Brendan, tell us a little bit about them because you know them quite well. Yeah. Um, out of the three, um, I think Andrew's probably got to be the craziest, the one that actually sits behind the uh, the wheel of the Beach Bomb. Um, mm-hmm. 
very involved, like very family involved team. Um, it's awesome watching, you know, watching them at the track, and we've, you know, caught up with them at the workshop as well. Where they'll, you know, sit down for dinner and work on the car and get all the boys around. Um, but watching James on the car, he's he's just a wizard. To sit down with him and actually, you know, get a bit of an understanding on how he got to where he did would be something I'd love to do. Um, he's a very, yeah. very smart man. Son of Stuart Rowland, uh, famed drag racer in Western Australia and Ravenswood days as well. Uh, yeah, they are. And a formidable team, that one, as well. So, hey, let's just listen to that episode. That was episode 103. It was right back at the start of the year. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Andrew Catavatis. Andrew, thanks for joining us. No problem. James Rowland, his crew chief in Tuna. Thanks hey. for joining us, James. Thanks, Nick. And Andrew's lovely wife over there, <laughs> Michelle. Michelle, uh, Michelle Catavas, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Formerly known as Michelle Adamos for those listeners. Anyway, before we get started, we have to, I have to do a quick shout-out, actually, to, to a good friend of the podcast, Brendan Franklin. Um, most of us know him as um, Because Race Car. Probably haven't seen him at the track if, if you might not see him, you wouldn't have seen him last week. We did. I, did. Yeah, yeah, I actually saw him. He went down there, Saturday did he? Saturday night, yes, yeah. yes. Had a good chat with him um, just after, I think it's Chase was born. Chase, yeah. Chase, Chase James. So congratulations to Brendan and to Mel, his, his partner. So congratulations to them on their birth of their first baby boy. So Brendan does a lot. It helps us out a fair bit, actually, on the podcast. So um Get some sleep, Brendan, because <laughs> he's, he's uh, I don't think the baby's home yet. He told me today that he's, uh, he's at home getting some good sleep. So that's, that's good news, good news for them. Got a little leave pass for the weekend. <laughs> I said enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> hey, guys, look, well, thanks for joining us on the podcast. It's great to have you here, Andrew and James and Michelle. It's a, it's a great pleasure to have you guys here. I'll be honest with you, I... When I'm putting together a guest list, I don't necessarily have... It's a sort of a work in progress. But Michelle posted a photo one day, and I thought, you know what? That is so cool. I need really need to get Andrew on the podcast. And it was a photo of the beach bomb going down the freeway in an <laughs> open car trailer. Now, I thought, that how <laughs> awesome is that? I mean, that's, that's the photo there for those... For those watching us on YouTube, you can check this out. Look out, how cool is that? Going down the, the freeway there in an open car trailer. So is that how you always transport? Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that is, that was actually built by Michelle's dad, the trailer, uh, who's actually towing it in that photo. Um, and then we sold it to, when Michelle finished drag racing, when we had our daughter, Ella, um, we sold her dragster first, and then we sold the trailer to Chris Dimoff, yep. who very kindly then loans it back to us whenever we want to go racing. <laughs> it is awesome, I must say. You've seen a Nitro funny. It reminds me of um, Funny Car Summer, really. You know, they yeah. used to get around in a... I don't think it was a trailer. I think it was a truck, wasn't it? Yeah, but we need a... Remember, we need a... Yeah, the Ram a, truck. A Ram truck or something. <laughs> like Stewie, James's dad. That's, that's the go. But it is cool, and I must say, um, you know... Hats off to you guys for turning it around on open car trailer. I think that's so awesome when I saw that. I really, I really like that. Andrew, tell us, I mean, we're all, especially in this room, but even my normal co-host Simon Gonzo, who can't be here today, we're all tragics, drag racing tragics. But are all drag racing tragics nitro funny car tragics? 
Um, no, I don't think so. Um, everyone likes different areas. Um, I was talking to someone on the weekend who was working on a twin turbo big block car and he's a carburetor guy through and through. That's, yep. that's his thing. He, he enjoys all aspects of drag racing, but carbies are his thing. Um, so, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't think you have to be through and through nitro. But I think inher- inherent law for me, we all dream. I don't know. We all dream, but one day we're going to go nitro, and especially funny car too. I think, you know, a lot of people, uh, even Gonzo says it all the time, he'd love to go nitro funny car. But you guys actually made it happen. Like, tell us that journey. Did that start from a long time ago, or was it when you were back in the modified days and super comp days? Was that part of the path? Yeah, well, it was actually to a point you said, it's actually. Oh, as much as it's my dream, it's Dad's dream. Uh, Dad started racing late 60s, thereabouts. Um, started with his street car, got faster, built uh, Aussie Dollar, um, little Fiat Topolino, and raced that very successfully in Perth and in Adelaide. Um, and then he actually started building a Nitro Funny Car. Um, I believe he had the motor. Um, there's a few pics kicking around of uh, my popu, who's just passed away actually, um, standing next to the motor, just as it arrived in Australia. There's a Nitro big block. And yeah, that was, I think it was a Tirana body hmm. or, or a Datto, maybe a Datto um, body it was going to be. Got to the point of assembling final assembly. Um, even had the race suit, the mask, which I think the green, Alan Cheryl Green actually had the race suit and the mask still. Hmm. Um, and basically family commitments politics um in the sport and um starting in his own business went a different direction yeah 40 years later we well 35 years later we started racing thereabouts and 40 years later we started reliving his his dream yeah through me yeah yeah no and it's an awesome story your dad your father tony you're referring to there built up a very good business uh corvette engineering and uh it was always i found it interesting you guys went with uh instead of a corvette you went you went at 69 camaro but we'll talk about that we'll talk about that we'll talk about that shortly michelle tell us because you're i mean you come from arguably royalty in in western (laughs) australia drag racing as well from the adamos family tell us a little bit about your history yeah history as well absolutely so for me drag racing started when i was a really young girl um heading to Ravenswood with my dad, um, but my uncle Con Adamos, um, you know, raced for many, many years, um, or, you know, had a car for many years, shall I say, and it just sort of was part of our family life. It was something that we always did, um, we always went to the drags, and then my cousins, Alicia and Matt, begun to race, and um, I said to Uncle Con, I, I think I want to race too, so I was probably about the age of 10 that I started racing junior dragsters, and um, and from there, that was it. We were hooked and um, have never left drag racing realistically. Mm. I raced up until, you know, the age of juniors and then I went on to study. Um, I completed my degree and then mum and dad said, look, if you want to go back and drag race, you have to, you know, finish your education and then have the opportunity to think about a car. And we purchased a, a dragster out of the USA and um, I went modified drag racing um, in a dragster. So, I also have been involved in commentary over the years and travelled Australia very fortunately to um, commentate. So uh, I've done a bit of writing for magazines around the time um, back in the day. So I really have lived and breathed drag racing from mm. a from a young age and um, 
fortunately met Andrew there. Yeah. So that was it. I I met my forever, and we are now together drag racing as a family. And um, our daughter Ella is two, and the the thing she wakes up talking about is drag racing. And last night we couldn't get her to sleep, and all she was talking about was drag racing. So um, I think for us it's. It's driven by our family. It's been driven by my family for a very long time, and I think it will continue throughout our family in many ways. Yeah. All right, Andrew Catavatis, Michelle Catavatis, and uh, James Rowland really enjoyed that that episode. Um, these are in no particular order, so I hope no one thinks that these are in a particular order of downloads, even though we did start off with Carl Cox. He's our number one ranking episode of all time. Uh, these aren't in any particular order. But number four next one we're going to talk about episode 111 i really enjoyed this one this is a long term a long time friend of mine johnny alardi really enjoyed his company on the podcast gave an insight to his battle with cancer and also he's a very uh accredited car detailer these days so we caught up with johnny on this episode and he told us a bit about his 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 life story to uh, to where he got now we've got with us Johnny Alardi. Johnny, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Now, we've spoken numerous times in the past, but we've done short little episodes when you've done your morning tea. So we thought we'd get you along uh, to do a bit of a in-depth, I guess, chat with you about what you're doing these days, where you've come from, and just a bit about you. So thanks for joining us in the, in the studio. I think your timing's impeccable as well. We'll talk about... MotoGP a bit later on, but Jack Miller winning his second race in a row. Another thriller from Miller. Yeah. Yep. But we'll chat about that a bit later on. So um, Two from two. <laughs> and we've got the cannolis here as well tonight. <laughs> Just wanted to mention that. So for those that are listening, you're missing out. You can't see. I don't wonder. You can see them in the video, those cannolis. They're magnificent. So, and the reason why I got them, I know your father big fan of the cannolis yeah he'll be jealous he'll definitely be jealous Tell of those. <laughs> who's not a fan of the cannolis no but you, this you have to we have to paint a picture here yeah. all right sorry we did a bit of a bit of a poetic license here Tell the story about your dad. He at the at the last at the last fundraiser you did, I think you had some cannolis left over, and you said, "Dad, take these to," because your dad was going straight to the farm, straight after the fundraiser, and uh, you gave him a whole tray of cannolis, and I think he finished them before he even hit yeah. you shake. Yeah. <laughs> before he even got to the car, I reckon. <laughs> so I know your dad, Giovanni, is a great fan of cannolis. So I thought, you know, that'll be good. We had them when Richie was in as well. Remember? Yes, we did. Yeah, and that was that was pretty cool. Johnny, tell us, great to have you here on the podcast. For those listeners out there, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, so obviously um, married, two kids, uh, my daughter Valentina and Johnny, my wife Angela. Um, obviously we're running the Benzines Detailing down at Mangara, which is my pride and joy and my passion. So, um, And obviously we... Uh, being a cancer survivor, we sort of integrate our uh, business with uh, with some charity events as well. Mm, yep, yep, and it's a great charity event that you do. That's why we got you in tonight to have a bit of a chat about that, and uh, we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit later on. But tell us, I mean, you and I have been hanging out for the same group of guys. I mean, visiting the same car shows for for a long, long time. Tell us the the passion for cars. Where, where did that all get started from? Yeah, well, I. I mean, you mentioned my dad before, and obviously that's definitely where it stems from. You know, I had—I don't think I had a choice in the matter. I was always going to be a car guy. Um, 
Um, I came home from birth, I think, in a XA Falcon. Um, so yeah, it was it was pretty much in my blood, you know, straight out of the hospital. So yeah, I, it's definitely from dad, the passion, and, and it's just grown obviously from there. My uncle's obviously, you know, um, my cousin. Um, once you start, you know, it oozes out to the rest of the family. Yeah, it's 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 just ingrained in you from from birth, basically. Mm. Well, in me anyway. Yeah, yeah. I know it seems to be you do drag the rest of the family and your family is engaged with the motoring scene as well. You get a lot of guys that are into their cars but their family doesn't seem to come along for the ride but yours certainly does, doesn't it? Yeah, um, it's it's funny because when, when I was younger and Dad obviously had the XY, <coughs> um, I was always, you know, Dad, can we take the XY? Dad, can we take the XY? And it was like, nah, nah, you know, nah. It was back then you needed to see if a petrol station was open, you know what I mean? You can get fuel on Saturdays or Sundays, so it was always hard. Now it's like, he, he, he's in that every single day, you know, he's, he's with it, and he's, he drives it more, drives his cars like at, at, at any given opportunity. So, um, so yeah, it, it's just, we just love it. We just, it's just a passion, it's a, it's a social thing. Um, we, we enjoy it. Mm. Yeah. I wonder how many people actually remember the old roster system. Yeah, it was a roster, yeah. <laughs> like, I do. I used to get to Sunday Times as a kid and you said, Dad, you know, this one's on roster today. <laughs> Can we take the car, you know? Vince, Vince Band down on, uh, yeah. on uh, Gwell up there. He, he copped it a bit. Uh, you'd get it about once a month of Vince Band down there. So. Oh, I, I remember many a time where I'd go... You know, okay, we've got to go here, and it, it'll tell you that the service station, next service station, wherever you get there, and they're shut, and you're going, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that was Johnny Alardi. Uh, it was great to have him on the podcast. Following up from that, that was the pre precursor. We caught up with Johnny again at the Australia's Biggest Morning Tea. It's a show he puts on once a year. Todd, tell us a little bit about that one. I know you enjoyed going to that one as well. Yeah, no, that was a, it was a good day. Um, Brendan was there as well. Yeah, so, of course, um, yeah, of course he was. He caught we the were video. there in, um, in our paddles and swim suits. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bit of a wet oh, day. Oh, yeah, it was a shocker, wasn't it? But, um, I mean, look, shout out to Johnny. Um, put on an awesome show as always mm-hmm. I think second time we've done that out there with well second time I've been there with him out yeah, there three times all up for me yeah. and uh, awesome day put on by Johnny and I mean look awesome to all the people that came out and bought cars out I mean it was mm-hmm. a great day um, coffee cakes getting do, and doing it for the Cancer Council of WA I mean, Australia I think it was like WA yeah. no um, Western Australia yeah, yeah but and um, look yeah something close to Johnny of course the Cancer Council of WA and so it was for a rewarding Reason? Yeah, yeah, raising money for the cancer yeah. council. And um, good to see some good cars. Yeah, like, I mean there were some very tough street cars and classic cars, and yeah, like yeah. it's any day you get to have coffee, cake, and look at tough street cars is a good day in my book. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> all right, let's have a listen to that episode right here. All right, welcome back to the Talking Power podcast. We've got another special guest with us, Angela Elardi. Angela, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hi, thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. Now, for those listeners that don't know, we'll explain, uh, wife of Johnny Alardi, you hold this wonderful day every year. Tell us a bit about it. Um, well, as most of you have probably already heard, um, my husband had his own battle with cancer uh, a fair while ago now. Um, and since then, we tried to do a fundraiser every year. and. 
um, try to give back to the Cancer Council. Um, they were a big support for him at our, when we needed it the most. Um, and my dad also uh, passed with cancer three years ago, so it's um, very prevalent in our family. So um, we just want to try and give back and help those people that are suffering in the same way that Johnny did and my dad did. Mm. So, yeah. It's a really uh, a great get together, and I know you. I know Johnny, yourself, and and the family are big, big car people. Yes. And it's great that you get that you get the cars all in together. It is a great event, but it's it's not just about the cars, is it? It's so much more, and that's what we've been saying on the, on the podcast as well. It's just a get together as well. It's the Australia's biggest morning tea. This year, we're lucky enough to be doing it with the rest of Australia as well, all at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, we felt it was you know really great event that you put on, and we love being a part of it. I must say. Thank you. We appreciate having you guys a part of it. <laughs> Tell us what's it like being married into big car family like the Alardis. Uh, well, Johnny and I, we started dating when we were 18, so, and at that time I knew nothing about cars, uh, wasn't interested in cars whatsoever, um, and came into the family and, you know, the first date, Johnny picked me up in his uh, X XW and it was blue back then, um, and of course my parents and all my family, we all lived in the same street and all they used to hear is Johnny's car zooming down the, <laughs> down <laughs> Coatland Drive. Um, so yeah, and then obviously that was that gave me a taste of what it was going to be like. Mm. Um, and then obviously I met my in-laws and saw the cars that they had, and you know our uncles and whatnot. Um, and look, I've just I guess I was a, a kid when we met, and so I've grown into all of this myself. And um, I love going to the car shows, and I, I I enjoy seeing all these nice cars, and yeah. I'm still learning what's under the hood, uh, but I'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's one of the questions I have, Johnny. When he had when we had the podcast episode 111, he mentioned he's actually met at McDonald's, Stewart Hill. We did. Tell us a bit about that, because tell us what the listeners, because it's not like that anymore, obviously no. down there. But tell us the people that even might even be listening over east. Tell us Stewart Hill McDonald's, what what that was all about. Well, back back in the day, <laughs> um, that was the in place to be on a Thursday night. Uh, for Stirling and Belcatta residents, and I think people from Morley and obviously Marangaroo. Um, and yeah, we just every Thursday it was just a hangout with all our friends. Um, all the boys would bring their cars down there. Um, apparently, Johnny reckons I used to walk like I was all that, which I didn't. I don't believe him at all. Um, I was a very shy person, so I used to walk with my head down, uh, but he noticed me and. Um, and I'm, I'm glad he did, and yeah, he, we just struck it up from there, and, um, and then that, that's it. Just the rest is history, the I guess. The rest is history, is yeah. yeah, you're right. But it was, right. yeah, Stuart Hill Maccas was a huge thing back then. It was, that's where we all went. Sadly, it's a moment in time that I don't think we'll ever see again. No, you know, it's, it's not the it's same anymore. Yeah, it's a different, a different Very world. Very different. And yeah. uh, you know, obviously, the people that used to hang out at Chilled Hill McDonald's have grown up and gotten married and had children of their own, and some of their children are now at driver's license age. So yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's a different world. It is very. Anyway, Angela, we want to thank you very much for putting on this. I know you know you and Johnny take on a lot of work putting this show on, and yeah. you know you can see it. Even though the weather is terrible outside, we've got a, like quite a few cars out there, yeah, really yeah. top shelf cars too. And even in here in the workshop, if yeah. for those 
Oh, I urge you to go back and watch the video. Brendan Franklin from Because Race Car as well will be doing an excellent video of all these cars. Some really top-shelf cars that have braved the weather. And the forecast has been pretty terrible. But, you know, people still support great events. And yeah. no matter what, they'll bring their cars out. So I think, you know, it's a credit to you guys. I think it's the reflection of, of what you guys do. Thank all you. these cars yeah. coming here. Yeah. Well, I mean... We couldn't do this without the support of our family and friends and people like yourself who get behind it and get behind us. Um, so yeah, we just like to thank everyone for their, their support and generosity. Because yeah. we can't, you know, this isn't successful without all of that, so. That's right, yeah. yeah, yep. Hey Angela, thanks for coming on. Uh, it was great to have you on. I just wanted thanks, to hear Nick. your side <laughs> of the story as well. It was great to have you on. Because as I said, I know Johnny, we had Johnny in the podcast uh, last week. But yeah, we wanted to just have a quick chat with you as well. So I really appreciate you. your time. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you again for supporting us and helping us out. No you worries at all. Fantastic. So. No problems. Thank you. Thanks for that. Take thank care. You. you too. All right, that was the Australia's biggest morning tea at Benzene Detailing. We're going to take a short break here and we'll be back with more of the best of 2021 episode of the Talking Power podcast right after this. All right, you are listening to the Talking Power podcast. It is the best of 2021. Changing notes back. We're going back to drag racing again. Uh, episode 105. He's actually the brother, for those that don't know, he's the brother-in-law of James Rowland. Um, uh, Luke's sister, Zoe, married to James Rowland. Uh, Luke Newhoff, editor now of a number of magazines, is yeah. sick. Sick magazine is his latest edition. We caught up with Luke back on episode 105, so we'll just have a listen to that episode right here. All the way from the United States, special guest joining us tonight, Luke Newhoff. Welcome back to the podcast. Nick, how's it going? I'm going really well, and I, I must say it was episode 23 when you were last with us, so... Oh, wow. Yeah, 23. So we've, uh, you know, another 80-odd episodes since then. And I was just thinking to myself, I was reminiscing really uh, earlier today, thinking that was back in my house and how much the world has changed since 2018. I mean, I must be honest with you, I wouldn't feel comfortable being in a, such a small room, you know, like that anymore. You know, I just think the world's changed so much. And I, I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way as well, how, how much the world has changed since, since we last spoke. Yeah, it's funny, actually, when I came to see you last, I think I was uh, just in Australia for about three months or so. That's when I was still doing the still doing long distance dating. So, uh, yeah, flitting between Australia and, and the USA. Um, and now that sort of that freedom of travel has really uh, has really changed, of course. Um, so it's sort of a just just waiting and seeing when I can get back to Australia for something. But for you're right. I think we enforce a kind of uh, social distancing on ourselves. A lot of the time I was, I was just at the track on the weekend and and found myself anytime someone was just a little bit too close, you're taking a few steps, just a, just a little bit of extra space, you know, can't hurt. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely, definitely changed our mentality around things. Yeah, it has. And I mean, like I said to you back in the day, you wouldn't think twice about being stuck in. That was such a small room that I had back at my house. We're in a studio now. But, you know, back then it was a little, that room is literally 2.7, I think it is, by only three metres. So, and we were stuck around that table there. But, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't dream about doing that nowadays. I know, I know Todd and Simon probably wouldn't feel comfortable doing the same thing. So it's funny how things have changed. 
Luke, just tell us, you know, you mentioned, I mentioned before you're in the US, you're in Tampa. Is it Tampa or Tampa Bay? They're two different, two different locations or are they, it's the so same thing? Tampa, Tampa is, the, uh, is one city and Tampa Bay refers to the general area around uh, Tampa City. Um, but what you actually have in, in the Tampa area is you have three different cities. So you have uh, Tampa, um, which is where I live. Then you have St. Petersburg um, and then you have Clearwater. And they're three kind of major cities that form a bit of a triangle. And all of those tend to get referred to as the Tampa Bay area, even though, of course, there's rivalry between each of them and they all like to have their own uh, independent titles. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, tell us, I mean, you were, I guess, lucky enough to experience, so your, your team, Tampa, Tampa Bay, was in the, the uh, Super Bowl and they hosted the Super Bowl as well. And, and then you went on to win. Tell us what that was like. Oh, that's right. Like, it's a pretty impressive thing to see. And, you know, my, my wife, Chancey, and I will freely admit that we're bandwagon fans. Once our teams make the, the final four or so, we're, we're right on board the bandwagon. Um, but the whole town changes and gets a new energy. Um, it was actually, I remember the, the first time someone told me about the way football changes a, a city when the teams are doing well was, um, was Peter Glover, a Western Australian drag racer. He used to say when the Eagles and the Dockers were doing well that, Everybody just had a better mood around town. And, and it's really true. When, when the home team is winning, everybody's just happier. Um, and to have the, the Super Bowl here, and it was the first time in history that a home team has played in the Super Bowl, um, that was just, you know, it just, the event grew another set of legs, so to speak. It was, um, yeah, the buzz around town was really awesome. Everybody wearing their Bucks gear. Um, just the influx of people, good or bad, with the whole COVID situation, of course. Um, but it was interesting to see, even though they didn't have the same, um, I guess, public displays and events that they ordinarily would. It was interesting to see how the atmosphere of the event does, does take over the city. I'm always interested in, in sports events and, and what drag racing in particular can learn from other events and, and how we can you know, have an impact on perhaps the towns and the cities where drag trips are. Obviously, that's difficult at the level of, say, a, a Sydney dragway. Uh, Sydney's a, a big city, but maybe for a, a Mildura or a Wyala, um, those sorts of places, they can, you know, they can really take over a city of a big events coming to town. And mm. it doesn't matter whether it's the Super Bowl or, or it might be the Easter Supercharged Shootout at Mildura. Um, these events have an impact on the towns where they are. And, and that's important to learn for drag racing, how to, how to bring the community into it. Yeah, yeah, most certainly, most certainly. Just want to touch on one more thing regarding the Super Bowl. Tom Brady, who, who would be his equivalent in drag racing, do you think? Oh, it, it's easily uh, it's easily John Force. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it's tough. Like, I think in terms of your your goats in um in drag racing, it's pretty much out of two guys. And you're talking about Don Garlitz or John Force. Um, Don Garlitz was the technical innovator. He was the one who drove uh, so much innovation in the sport. He came up with so many of the things that that we now take for granted, the rear engine dragsters and things like that. And just the performance barriers he pushed were, were really incredible. Whereas John Force's commercial success, and I think it's very important that John Force came from not a lot. He grew up in a trailer park and he, he drove trucks for a living and he was a blue collar guy who worked his way up through the ranks of drag racing to now be in a successful position he is. And I think John Force's story is really important in drag racing now. Because, and that's why people relate to him so much because he worked his way up into the position he, he has. Mm. He didn't start with an enormous business and go drag racing for fun. Drag racing was his business. Yeah. Um, so as for Tom Brady, I mean, Tom Brady and John Force, I suppose there are some similarities there in terms of um, their performance at age. 
obviously uh, John Force is about twice the age, not quite twice the age of uh, of Tom Brady, but both have shown uh, ways to extend their lifespan in a sport where a lot of others would probably have fallen by the wayside. Um, you know, Tom Brady takes his fitness very seriously. He's constantly working on ways to extend his lifespan in the sport. And I think John Force has done the same thing over the years, concentrated on on his body and his mind and, and making sure he's still capable of driving a Nitro Funny Car. All right, it was great to catch up with Luke. That, that episode was actually convenient for me, not so convenient for Luke. It was, <laughs> I think it was like pretty pretty late at night yeah. for him. I can't remember now. But, yeah, anyway, thanks to Luke for making the time because he lives in Florida these days. So it was just after the Super Bowl as well. So he was on a – I think it was he actually – I didn't think he got to go to the Super Bowl, but he was part of the festivities and, and whatnot. So – Cheerio to Luke, I know he'll be listening. All right, episode 109, keeping in tune with the drag racing thing. We caught up with Stallwood for the drag racing commentary team and also car show promoter. You know him really well, Brendan. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Richie Howlett? Put me on the spot again. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can't miss Richie's voice, um, especially, you know, especially the drag, drag drag scene, but he pops up everywhere. He pops up down at Power Cruise. Mm. Um, you know, we've had him at the the car show we had in the city for yeah. Holden. So yep. he definitely gets around. And you know, the following he's got for his car shows, the car, is it Cars and Coffee? Yeah, uh, Southern, Southern Southern Cars, cars and Coffee. Yeah. yeah, seems you know everyone seems to be on board with Richie, and yep. um, yeah, he's he's a really nice guy. Um, he's got a big heart. Um, and got yeah, a massive heart, yeah. old Richie. It's a great guy. I really like Richie, and uh, I urge everyone to listen for the next few minutes if they can, because this is really, really good episode. Really enjoyed this one with Richie Howlett. Hey, we got a special guest in the studio tonight. He had to drive a lot further than me. A lot further, than <laughs> and a lot, lot further than me. I'm only around the corner. We've got with us Richie Howlett. Richie, thanks for joining us on the podcast. No, thank you for uh, for the invite. I know you've been saying for ages you want to get me up here and finally made it happen, so thank you. Oh, look, I'm really excited about this one, actually, and I was a bit... Oh, I, going back, I don't want to go back in time too much, but we we we, we did a show with you kind of uh, only a few months ago, and, like, we, you know, I was... not. I don't want to say in awe, but I, I like the way you conduct yourself and, and do interviews with people. We'll talk about it, about it a bit later on, but... Well, I was... I was I've always been in awe of Richie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, look, I mean, tell us a little bit about yourself. Growing up in Bunbury, tell us how, how did the passion for the motoring scene, how, how did it all get started? Uh, yeah, look, it's an interesting story. I, I never really thought about it, I suppose, but... I guess when I was when I was 16, I really wasn't interested in cars. And then, you know, I turned 17 and got my driver's license, and I was on my third car by the time I was off P plates, and I'd crashed two of them already. <laughs> uh, my third car was uh, was my Gemini panel van, and you know, anybody that that knows me sort of knows of my Gemini panel van. And uh, and from there, I joined the uh, the Westgate Custom Car Club. That was uh, the club in Bunbury at the time, and and it just grew from there. I started spending way too much money on uh, on this Gemini and having way too much fun in the car, uh, along with clubs and the whole and the whole car scene. And uh, and that's where it all grew from there. I've just, you know, back in or I got my license in nine eighty. And um, <laughs> there's a whole lot of people at home get the calculator out right now. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, I got my license a long time ago, and the whole car scene, the van scene, and everything else was was completely different to uh, to what it is now. You know, there's none of these sort of pop up stuff, and you always had to plan things. And that we just had lots and lots of fun. We had some some great adventures away, and and yeah, as I say, that's 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 what got me into the car scene. Yeah. You know, it was an amazing time. Like, speaking of the van scene, do you remember the van shop in Osmond Park? Well, no, I don't, because, you know, I was living in Bunbury at the yeah. time, so not coming up here all that often. But, you know, um, the, the scene was that big that, that there was a company that was dedicated just to customising vans. I was really surprised we were going to completely digress, but Max Pinjara, just a couple of weeks ago, we had the panel van state titles as a part of the show. We had something like 40 panel vans. I thought to myself, <laughs> crikey, I didn't even know there were that many panel vans. But, um, but yeah, you know, it was a, it was a great scene. Uh, annual event we would go up to Yanchip to um, Club Capricorn there and we'd all have our vans and party all night long and sleep in our vans we'd go off to uh, uh, to Atlantis the the dolphin show at Two Rocks there and get over our hangovers on a Saturday morning and then party on again Saturday night and drive home hung over to the max on a Sunday that, that was the thing though with the vans it was it was a uh, it was freedom it was. Freedom on wheels. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Just off you go and, uh, and yeah, you want to sleep, then you just park up and go to sleep. <laughs> it's interesting. So you, you mentioned there, like you talked about the West State Custom Car Club. You also, not one of the inaugural members, but I think you were early on in the piece at the Perth City Street Machine Car Club. Tell us what was the club scene like in the, the sort of the late 70s and early 80s there? Well, I mean, the clubs, the clubs probably got together on a on a whole, on a more regular basis. I mean, like I say, I talked about um, Yanchip. That was one regular run where there would be three or four clubs getting together there. And we'd also do a regular run to to Busselton. We'd stay at one of the youth camps down there between Busselton and Dunsborough. Again, there'd be three or four clubs that would get together there. Uh, we'd go to shows, uh, Williams. You know, there'd, there'd always be groups and groups of clubs. Albany. You know, there'd always be a half a dozen or so clubs go for a car show down Albany. So it was all. Always, you know, we're always just a big bunch of mates. We're all involved in different clubs, but we're all just mates getting together and, and having fun at the end. All right, that was Richie Howler. We'll take a short break here and we'll be back with more of the Best of the Talking Power podcast right after this. All right. Now, Todd, one of the things we did, we hit the road this year as well. I didn't, didn't realise, but, you know, we did a little bit out, out and about. We talked about the Australia's Biggest Morning Tea. I know that's only up the road. Yeah. But then you and I went made the trek down to Bustleton as well and caught up with Clint down there. That's right, yeah. And uh, did the uh, Southwest Indoor Motor Show. Uh, we did a, quite a few interviews down there. It was actually a really good uh, rating episode, that one. But tell us a bit about your experience down there as well. Yeah, it was a good trek down there. Um, Clint put on a good show. There was uh, lots of decent cars um, and lots of decent people to talk to. Um, I've actually made some new friends down there on that day that I now see at other shows and, oh, hey, Todd, how you going? Yeah, you know, and yeah, a brilliant day. Um, that's it. Nice cars and bus one's always nice. And oh yeah, it's magic. We got a nice drive down there and back, and yeah, mm. it was a it was a nice day. And I said lots of genuine hot rodding guys to talk to or muscle car, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, just a good day out. It was a good day out. Definitely a good day out. 
Yep, all right, so let's have a listen to that episode right here. All right, I'm here with Joe. Joe, thanks for joining us on the podcast. You know, if you look up in the dictionary, Pro Street, I reckon there's a picture of this thing right behind us. <laughs> well, my dream car for many, many years is blowing 68 Camaro. And I've dreamt this for a very long time. And that's, that's, that was my goal. Um, two and a half years in a build. I only just finished it for about two months ago. Uh, 90% of it is my own build, doing my own fabrication. Like I have all my own hoist, uh, tools, whatever. So, but it's part time between business, work, play around with the car, couple hours there, couple hours here. Um, and um, yeah. probably about 1,200 hours in yeah. total yeah. to build. Um, so it's always been a unique, something unique to me, my own build. Yeah. Yeah, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah, no. You know, so I might have, no, well, I could have maybe made the same thing over five or six times until I was satisfied. But, yeah. you know, the performance, reliability, um, um, uh, the way it looks too, you know, so I have more ideas. Yeah. So yeah. I just continue, you know, keep doing that. But Joe, tell me, you know, you're you're probably same age as me. We're a bit old school. Yeah. Grew up in the eighties. We got pretty our much. love from pretty cars much. in the eighties. Pretty much. You much. go get an old Street Machine magazine out, and yeah. this brings back back memories. Those memories mm. of, of you know even performance. What yes. was it? Performance Street yes. Car magazine yes. as well. My first car was a HQ Monaro. Um, so I've been building cars and bikes, I know, from a very young age. Self-taught everything too, yeah. and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm someone with a, uh, attention to detail very much. Um, there'd be things there where the you you'd be happy with, but I know that I wouldn't. Yeah. So I'll change it all and, and to my satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. Mm. When I look at it, like twin carbies uh, on a eight seventy one or two eight fifties. Okay, yeah, on, on a eight seventy one. Yeah, yeah. The uh, five forty Dart Brodex heads. So. It's just over a thousand three wheels. Beautiful car, and like I said, it, it brings back. But there's some. There's you, as you said before, you've brought in your own ideas, ideas as well. Pretty much. So, so there is a bit of modern in it as well. Like you look inside, yeah, and there's a yeah, fair bit of modern yeah, to it. Yeah. And also, you know, old school, but still modern technology. Yeah. So to yeah. speak. I mean, the the engine bay, the flat firewall, all mm, those sorts mm, of things mm. as well. They weren't that all that prominent back in the no, day, but nowadays no. it is. So yeah. it's a mix of both, and it's I, I really. Find, it's trying to find those lines, you know, um, um, like neaten it all up, just um, flatten it all, you know, like, uh, I don't know if you know, like a 68 command, like all this fender now, it's just all one piece. We used to be that cone shape down there, should be bolted together. Well, as you can see, it's all been welded. Yeah. yeah. So it's all one, you know, same as all the. The front, um, or the grill, it's all one piece. Yeah, there's yeah. three grills into one there. Yeah, yeah. So I'd uh, fabricate it all. You said two and a half years. That's pretty quick for a car of this quality. Yeah, pretty much. When I'm a, I'm a doer. Yeah, yeah. If I'm going to do something, I'll do it and I'll stick to it. Yeah, yeah. Lots of overnighters. Two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I enjoy it. It's my yeah, passion. Yeah. I love it. I like building and making stuff. But that comes from a supportive family mm. as well, I mm. guess, and yeah. you know, and having yeah. the time to do it as well. So, yeah. look, yeah. Uh, uh, congratulations on the car. I did yeah. see it at Motivation. I didn't get a chance to catch up with you there. You're pretty busy, but uh, I'm glad that we came down here yeah, just thanks. just to see the car yeah. in the another, flesh and up close. Yeah, another question: Since then to now, I've changed. I've changed some more. Okay, I've changed the headers on it. 
Do you remember that had that um, checkered plate there? So yes, now it's just yeah, all flat, yeah, plain, yeah, okay. so I'll, I'll change that. I still change a few more little things to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now we'll get some photos and we'll put it up on our Facebook yeah. page and on our YouTube channel as well. Good joke. Thanks for joining no, us today, and thanks for making the trek yeah. down here as well. Yeah. I know it's well, a it's I a big effort, it. yeah. I enjoy and uh, people's work and stuff. Yeah, no, no, appreciate your time. No, All right, Joe. Thanks for that. Take care. Okay, I'm here with Wayne Waller. Wayne, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Right, uh, we're standing right in front of your 32 coupe three window. Tell us a little bit about it. Um, so I built it myself. Um, I did all the paint myself in my shed. Uh, I've got five acres of bush up in the in the hills of Mandalina, and um, I wanted to proved to myself I could actually build a hot rod so uh, I didn't have the money to go and buy one but I had the money to build it myself so um, yeah so I painted it myself um, did all the upholstery myself learned on eBay but not on eBay on, on um, YouTube YouTube yeah you know when you said you painted it yourself I wasn't surprised because only like 30 seconds before you said you're a cameraman for 26 years yeah. and cameramen have an eye for detail so it does not surprise me that you painted this it is an absolutely magnificent paint job how, how long, so the, the entire build, how long did it take from start to finish? So it's a very quick build. Um, I had the money and I had the time. So sometimes you're, you know, time poor or money poor. I had, I was lucky to have both. I had money, money and the time. So it took me 12 months to build it. Wow. So it was a very quick build. Um, and then unfortunately, well not unfortunately, but my wife decided that it needed to go into a hot rod show to debut it. So it, sit around, it sat around and not get driven for five months or four, four or five months before it went into the hot rod show. And uh, it took out second best hot rod coupe. All right, that was the best of uh, Southwest Indoor Motor Show. Sadly, that show won't be going on. But anyway, that's another story. We'll talk about that another day. Uh, you know, this next guy really surprised me. You, you know him quite well. Yeah. Phil Morley. And we said, let's get him on. This episode rated its socks off. So that tells me something. It tells me that our listener base is a grassroots motorsport yeah. base. So Phil Morley... Um, coordinator for the speed event series yep, that's correct right. me if I'm wrong yep. and done an absolutely magnificent job this episode really rated its socks off so tell us a little bit about Phil before we get stuck into it yeah again I've known Phil for, for years I know he's listening um, and he's um, listening. <laughs> yeah and just got chatting and went we'll jump on the show you know yeah. a, ch- a chance meeting at Albany we're having a chat down in Albany earlier this year and um, yeah like just he again is out there promoting grassroots motorsport. Like I, I don't know how much more you need to say. Mm. Um, just recently got the old one of his old cars running. I, sorry, Phil, I can't remember which car you got running, but it's on Facebook. Yep. Um, so you'll be seeing that next year. And yeah, it was just a good chat. And Phil was just a wealth of information. Like mm. if you want to take your street car around a track, either Collie, Wanneroo, other other events they have, reach out to the Speed Event Series. They're guys that want to see you there, but they want you to be safe and have fun. Yeah, definitely. It's not how big is your, how big is your wallet. How yeah, big it's your, certainly not checkbook racing, No, is how it, big are your coconuts? It's <laughs> come out, have fun, meet some people. And mm. again, it's something next year I'll be doing a lot more of. I said this year I would. Didn't get around to it, unfortunately, mm-hmm. due to reasons. But next year you'll see it move at more of these events and, I mean, and help me fill out where he can. I mean, yeah. Phil... Phil practically has four jobs, I'm pretty sure. Mm. Speed event series being two of them. Mm. So, yeah. anyway. Yep. So, yeah, appreciate Phil being on. All right, let's have a listen to Phil right here. We've got a special guest in the studio with us for this podcast, Phil Morley. Phil, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on board. Um, I know you're the, the director or... Uh, coordinator, series coordinator. coordinator. Yep, for the WA Speed Event Series. 
we'll get stuck into that a bit shortly. But yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. Jeez, um, I've been around motorsport in WA since I was about 16, 17. Uh, started out in uh, All Fours and Rotaries uh, Car Club. That's where I met Todd. That's right, I forgot. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that, that's going back to... 97, 98. Yeah, a long time ago. Wow. So that, that's that's where we all got started and where we met and yep. where we played around with road cars and things like that and then basically just progressed from there. Got into, played with the uh, first car was a GTI Suzuki Swift then progressed to S14, 200SX, WRXs, all the rest of it and then I realised that road cars are limiting. Yeah. Um, licences and stuff are necessary for work and then... Um, Started playing with escorts and gravel rallies and things like that, and just progressed into the entire Mac Motorsport. Yeah, okay. Some some time ago, when I remember, oh, look, I wasn't in that scene. I wasn't hanging out in that <laughs> yeah. scene. But that's that's quite a few years ago. Tell us a bit about those years, actually. Even hanging out with this guy Todd. Oh yeah, I, I said, I've probably forgotten. There you go. I remember going like, like out Mount Omnia Hill climb and stuff like that back in the day. Yeah, and... the, oh, shit, the first. Um, <laughs> The things we used to do were like I remember we used to meet at the Cam's club rooms in Joondana when there was probably 15, 20 years in the car club and it was your normal car club cruises on a Thursday night kind of thing and that's that's where they were. Yeah. And then the club grew to the point where it had to get moved to Bayswater and then they started doing a lot of their own events, um, Barbie Yellow, uh, Mount Omni. They still did the cruises and the um, what they used to call them, like the nav rallies where you yeah. had like a tulip map and had to go out and find random things in strange mm-hmm. country towns and then meet up at a set meet point at a certain time. Yeah. And that's that's where it was and that's like I said that's yeah, Todd, Denver, Franz, all those guys. Oh, yeah. that's, that's where we all came from. And awesome. I, you were on some of the um, running the engine cruises, weren't you? When we used to drive to Bunbury back and run motors in mm. and that's when the freeway stopped at the 14th set of traffic lights at Armadale Road almost. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you'd get off and you'd go down Rockingham Road and you'd weave through... The, anyway, um, come, yeah. Come through the back of Johnson Road uh, and yeah. pop out um, near CSBP there. And yeah, and we'd go down there and run motors in. If people had rebuilt motors, run the motor back in. Nice little drive back then. It was took us about five hours. <laughs> oh, I remember. That's how you used to get to Ravenswood as well. Yeah. John, you know, you have to get to the end of the freeway then turn right. Yeah, it was Johnson Road, wasn't yep. it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. But that's right. It was that, and that little servo was there, the little shell. Yeah, little yeah, shell. That's, right. that's actually still there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I do a lot of work down there now, so it's, oh. yeah, okay. It's a, it's a big place now, but still the same shell service so it's on the corner of Johnson Road. Yeah, yeah. So from there, how did you progress into to motorsport? Uh, so Dad got his first race car as such. So he got a Westfield Clubman, um, probably. 96, 97 when I was like late teens um, and he just, same thing, he just started doing the odd sprint here and there and progressed and went through multiple motors for AGEs and things mm. like that and that car <laughs> rebuilt and the car got stripped multiple times, it went into the wall at Wanneroo and he's done all sorts of that and then he, um, yeah, he just basically the car progressed to the point where it was and the events progressed to the point where they just they were, t- they were super competitive, and then the speed event series started. Twenty one years now, so wow. yeah. So two thousand, so two thousand, the speed event series started, mm-hmm. and he's one of the, I think it's about three or four, registered competitors now who have done every year, mm-hmm. and he's one of them. And so that Westfield's been around a very long time. Um, it's still in the hands of another competitor now. 
undergoing a full rebuild with some trick engine and gearbox and stuff going in that. So that'll be good to see that come back out. But yeah, so Dad uh, did uh, Westfield for probably seven or eight years. Yep. And same thing got to the point where he couldn't, he wasn't competitive. He could go as high as he could in that, but couldn't get into the top two or three. So he's um, then he moved into open wheelers, uh, mm-hmm. bike engine, single seat, high bus powered, um, three hundred and fifty kilos, hundred eighty horsepower, wings and slicks kind of car. Mm-hmm. And then um, once he's done that, then he was like, "Well, you want to drive the Westfields sitting there in the shed." So that's when I started in the Speed Event Series as a competitor. Yep. Um, but I'd been involved, obviously, crewing for him and things like that. So I've been in there since yeah, two thousand. Mm. For those listeners listening at home. I know what a Westfield is. We all know what a Westfield is, but a lot of people won't know what they are. So yeah. I know it's it's probably kind of a hard car to explain, but um, so it's a knockoff of a uh, Lotus Seven Clubman. Yeah. So um, Colin Chapman built them in 1960 something with a um, 1500 crossflow. Um, make them as light as possible as you can. Mm-hmm. Little clamshell guards and go quick by being light. Now they do meet an ADR. You can license them on the road. Am I right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So yeah. that's that's the beauty of this car is that you can have it as a. I guess you wouldn't have it as a daily driver, but I used to work with a gentleman who had one, and he used to bring it to work nearly every day. Who who was that? Uh, PJ Singh is his name. His brother-in-laws with um, Roly, the guy that does uh, Roly Waters. Yes, oh, it's his brother. Tune fame. Yeah, oh, there yes. you go. It's Ooh. his brother-in-law. <laughs> All right, that was Phil Morley. Very, uh, that was a really great episode. Another great episode we have was Paul Blank, and this was one that I've been trying for a while as yeah. well. I reached out to Paul, and we finally got hold of him, and he came on the episode. Those that don't know Paul, he's kind of he would be the classic car, vintage car, event promoter, really uh, car classic car broker. He's a jack of all trades, isn't yeah. he? I shouldn't use that term. That's a terrible term. I don't like jack of all trades. Aficionado. Yeah, he that's is. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a much better way of putting that. But he knows his his stuff like inside out. And having Paul on the episode was actually quite a bit of an honour for me because he's legitimised. Um, not that it needs legitimising, but like that that classic car scene in Western Australia. Yeah, a lot of people go to Paul for you know. Um, Looking for old cars that may have... Like, these cars that yeah. Paul knows about that I've never even heard of. So, it's great to have him on. Let's have a listen to Paul Plank right here. It gives me great pleasure to introduce Paul Plank. Paul, thanks for joining us on the podcast tonight. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and join in. Well, yeah, look, welcome along. And uh, like I said in my notes here, we've had many guests on the podcast that are expert in their respective fields, but... Tell us a bit about yourself and how you became one of Perth's leading classic car experts. Um, I guess it really came from a fanaticism about all things cars since I was a baby. (laughs) Um, And my interest has been very broad from classic cars to competition cars to things about new cars, everything car-wise. And uh, I've just really focused on that sort of thing for my whole life. And, And I guess my strongest interest has become in the classic car field. Um, and that's the field I work in these days. Do you make a nine to five living with cars these days? So that's that's yeah. that's that's um, a lot of us strive to that. And uh, <laughs> I take my hat off to you for being able to do that. So these days, uh, part of your your job is is a classic car broker. Um, 
I know, I, even though we've never met before, a lot of people have spoken to me about you, so you, you come highly recommended. So clearly you're an enthusiast that, um, that, that people trust and respect. How do you go about finding a home for a classic car? Um, it's an unusual process, I guess, compared to where somebody might just list a car online or something like that to advertise an everyday car. Um, I've got a lot of contacts and clients who like particular sorts of cars or a particular model of car that they're seeking. Um, and even if I'm not sure that there's a particular person for a specific car, my um, list of contacts is pretty broad in the classic car world. and. I put the word out there for something that has become available and usually there's somebody who likes to put their hand up for it, not always. Mm. Um, and sometimes I have to spread the field fairly widely. I've got contacts all around Australia, some overseas and sometimes cars move beyond our state border. Yep, yep, yeah, okay. It must be uh, quite a task and, and obviously it's not something that you can do just overnight. You've got to build up a... A repertoire of, of of customers I guess and yeah. and also buyers and sellers as well yeah very much but because I've always been involved in the classic car world whether that's through areas that are really nothing to do with buying and selling um, or from being a broker um, I do have a lot of contacts and, mm. and people with also all different interests in the classic car world so that makes makes the whole thing work. Yeah, yeah. All right, that was Paul Blank. Who really and enjoyed, oh, in sorry. breaking news, yes. I'm pretty sure I can say this for Paul. Uh, he had the successful classic cars and coffee that was normally held at UWA. Mm -hmm. He's taken a step back away from that. He has, yes. And next year he's organising something for the Japanese car community. And, oh, I okay. and sorry, Paul, again, I know you listen. I have seen you at a couple of events. I always get to say hello. I'm normally running around like a madman. But I've noticed you at a couple of Japanese classic car shows. And... Um, well, I'm not, I see you said that you're going to do something next year, and I can't wait. And a lot yeah. of us in the Japanese car scene can't wait to see what you bring to the table next year. He's a good guy, Paul. Yeah. He's a good guy. All right, we're going to take a short break here, and we'll be back with more of the Best of 2021 podcast of the Talking Power podcast right after this. All right, it is the Best of 2021 podcast uh, episode. I don't know if we give this podcast an episode number. But anyway, we did all four day, basically. And yes. uh, that was a special episode as well while we're out and about traveling. So let's catch up with all the guys from all four day and, uh, and have a listen there. Yeah. Okay, I'm here with Kevin Otway, the uh, chairman and CEO. and CEO of Warrior Racing. Kevin, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Uh, thank you. Um, what we're here today is, uh, you know, just uh, promoting and raising awareness for Warrior Racing Australian Homeless Veterans. It's a very important job that you're doing, Kevin, and I must say, I'm really, it's, I'm really honoured to be here sitting with you right now talking about this, this uh, charity that you're working on. Tell us the importance of re returning servicemen and women how important it is um, in looking after these people that have served our country? Well, what it is, um, is uh, I served uh, back in, the, started in around 1970 and I worked uh, uh, in the uh, army, I joined the regular army and uh, I served in 7 Battalion uh, who were in Vietnam at the time and uh, after uh, 
their return and everything, I come and did the uh, SAS selection course. Uh, during that time there, uh, I spent another six years in the SAS regiment and at the end of it I could see there was no more conflicts uh, so I decided I would do something different so I joined the West Australian Police Force uh, and I did another 20 years there in the, uh, general duties, uh, traffic and um, then I uh, did a stint for 13 years in the CIB so I decided uh, to go into business so when I've retired I've decided that I want to return certain things for veterans and first responders, that includes the police. So I started a charity, uh, Warrior Race Unlimited, and then also Australian Homeless Veterans to return uh, what I've got out of it, I want to return it to the veterans. All right, that was everyone from All Ford Day. Last but not least, on our Best of 2021 podcast, it is... RAG WA or Riders Advocate yes. Group of Western Australia. Now, those guys there, James and um, J Mac, came into the studio yep. and did a bit of a recording. So we caught up with J Mac and James from Riders Advocate Group. It's something that we probably needed to focus a bit on because we've yeah. never done much on motorbikes. So we had those guys on. That was episode 117. Yes. Uh, let's just have a listen to that episode right here. And we've got some. Great guests in the studio. I'm joined by co-host Todd Brinkworth. He's over there. And I've got with us Jared McLean, or better known as J-Mac, and James MacDonald. Hey, guys, thanks for joining us today. Great to be here. Thanks, Nick. It's, it's a pleasure having you guys here. I know we've, had, we've spoken with James before, and we've been, you know, crossing paths over the years. We did Hard a, to uh, avoid each other, isn't it? Uh, it is, really, mm. when you think about it. But, hey, we did a quiz. Remember the quiz we did with uh, the, the pod filter? <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was the last time we were on a podcast together. That's a few years ago now, mm. a couple of years ago. Uh, if I remember correctly, um, yeah, Department of Drift actually won that one. You did. Yeah, we yes. did. And yeah. then we uh, went out on a high and disbanded the podcast shortly <laughs> after that. <laughs> We did another quiz a few a year later, and we lost that one as well, didn't we, Todd? We lost that one pretty badly, actually. Yeah, that one was. Terrible. I think I dark I dark horse the first one, but the second time was no good. Hey, <laughs> I blame Zoom for the second one. Yeah, it, we did it over Zoom. I was going to blame the Italian sausage that was hanging in the ceiling. Yeah, I know. Dad had just done them. Well, we had just done them the week before. Yeah. So. yeah. Anyway, I digress. Hey, guys, it's great to have you here. Uh, on this podcast, you guys are representing the Writers Action Group of Western Australia. That's right. Doing some magnificent work. So before we get into the nitty-gritty, tell us a little bit about the Writers a uh, Action Group and uh, what you guys are, are fighting for. Yeah, sure. So um, we're, we're a very new group. We've only been... Uh, sort of all together and uh, and working towards the goals for a couple of months now um, but uh, we, we formed together out of a I guess a desire to work with the community and uh, and work towards a common goal of uh, raising the profile of motorcyclist rights in Western Australia. Mm. And it's very important isn't it the work you're doing as well because um, you know a lot of motorists these days some of the statistics we'll go through shortly but some of the the, the, the incidence of accidents is is quite a portion to the motorist of a vehicle uh, when we look at when we drill into the details we'll get into that shortly but um, so the work that you're doing is is, is very important and I must say I, I, you know it's it's great to have you two guys in uh, representing the group 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, I guess, a war on two fronts in in, in a sense because uh, one, obviously, safety is really important um, to to a lot of motorcyclists, and we don't want to see anyone killed or seriously hurt on the roads. Uh, but we also need to protect our rights uh, to to personal choice as well um, when mm. when we're out on the roads. So. Um, you know, being able to to be there and choose the sort of bike you want to ride and the sort of gear you want to ride ride when when riding, and and being able to choose something that's appropriate for the style of riding that you have. Mm. Um, you know, there's quite quite often, you know, there's a there's a one size fits all paintbrush that gets applied to motorcyclists, which doesn't always stack up. You know, to be honest with you, James, I'll be one hundred percent honest with you. I had that mentality as well. Mm. So I'm, I'm not a. I don't ride motorbikes. I, I've never ridden motorbikes before. Uh, on farm, yes, I grew up in a market garden, but that doesn't count. <laughs> so, so the point that I'm trying to make is that the layperson probably thinks that. Mm. Um, one size does fit all. So that's why it's important that you guys come on here tonight and explain. Now, I've got a few questions for you. I'll ask you when, when it's the appropriate time sure. uh, just to explain because to the layperson, um, I would I would think that it does one size does fit all, but we'll, we'll get to that a bit later. One of the things that I've always noticed with um, campaigns, we'll call them, TV campaigns, we always paint the motorcyclist as the, the campaigns pitched at the motorcyclist. Mm. I seem to remember a campaign, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, not that long ago, it looked like some sort of black kryptonite growing out of the road or some. <laughs> it was a black. But that yeah. was pitched at the motorcyclist. Yeah. Do you think that we need to change the way we think and start pitching that, the, the message? to the, the motorist of motor vehicles instead? Um, I guess it's a it's a tough one to, to say. Um, yes, definitely, uh, where all of the belief that A, riders do all that they can or as much as they can to, to not get hit or uh, to, to crash. But um, also, when when we're thinking from a public safety standpoint, the the rider is the easiest target group to to market towards because they're the ones most likely to change their behavior because they're the ones that will be most affected um, so that that's why you see advertising campaigns like that which are focused towards the motorcyclists changing their behavior and yes to, to a point um, it, it will be more effective than a public safety campaign targeted towards car drivers to, to look twice for bikes or things like that. Mm. But uh, it, it's, uh, and we'll probably talk about this mm. in a moment, but it's not the main issue that's facing motorcyclists. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, okay, no, we, we will get to that. All right, that was episode 117, Riders Advocate Group that came into the studio, J-Mac and Jared McLean, for those that are listening at home. Yeah, uh, rides in mod bike at the at the motorplex, or has he gone up to comp bike? Both, I thought. I don't know. You'd I have should. to ask someone that goes to the motorplex. I should. <laughs> Do you know? It's dark already. Is it comp bike? Or? I'm really sorry, J yeah. Mac. If it is comp bike, my sincere apologies. But I, something tells me he may have stepped up to I comp thought he, bike. I thought he was running both for some reason. No, no, he no. might not be. But you can only do one at one event. So anyway, no, no, no. You can as long as you've got two bikes. Okay. Yeah. He can do both. Yeah. All oh, right. Okay. He yeah. has got two bikes, hasn't yeah, he? Yes. He right. Okay. All right. Hello. Comp bike, I might add, is an awesome class. It is an awesome class. Yes. Yes. Shout out to Rings. <laughs> Rags, the Daniel Natalotto. Nata, Nata That's the one. Yes. 
You know, I'm actually kind of related to him, but that's he, another he's story. a legend. He's an absolute legend. <laughs> so my cousins are his cousins on the, different sides of the family. There you go. There you go. <laughs> he probably doesn't even know that. <laughs> anyway, I'll explain it to him one day. Hey, that brings our best of 2021 podcast to an end. Uh, it was great to have you guys here recording live from Tassel's Bar and Grill. Um, and uh, we'll look. Thanks for all your efforts this year. We really appreciate it. And uh, I know it was a it was a long year, but we got there through that. And uh, you know, we had some great guests on the podcast. I really enjoyed it. Like, like I said, I'm not going to mention names. We've already gone through the best of the year. So uh, thanks, guys. And uh, uh, we'll see you in 2022. So we'll. Yep. All right. Talking take care, power, guys. Your motorsport and motoring radio show now on 88.5 FM. The Valley comes alive. And podcasting across iTunes and talkandpower.com.au.